Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity entitled, A New Option for Cardiorenal Protection for Patients with Chronic Kidney Disease and Type 2 Diabetes, is provided by Medtelligence. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Hello to everyone. Do non-steroidal mineracorticoid receptor agonists or MRA, added to maximum tolerated energy attention system inhibition, reduce cardiovascular disease and kidney disease progression in patients with chronic kidney disease and type 2 diabetes? And how do we translate this data into patient care? These are the questions posed by the authors of the fidelity analysis, and that we hope to answer here today as well. This is CME on ReachMD. And I'm Dr. Gerasimos Filipatos from the University of Athens. I'm cardiology, and here today with me are Dr. Wang and Dr. Morales. Dr. Wang, welcome to this discussion. Thank you, Dr. Filipatos. It's a great honor to join this panel discussion. My name is Angela Wang, and I'm a nephrologist by background working in Hong Kong at the Queen Mary Hospital. Welcome, Dr. Morales. Hi, my name is Javier Morales. I'm a practicing internist in Long Island, New York. Thanks again for having me join you in this panel discussion. And we have a lot to discuss today, so let's begin. To start our conversation, Dr. Wang, the Fidelity Analysis, published earlier this year, look at the combined result of the pooled results, if you prefer, of the Fidelio and Figaro trials. What stood out to among the results of this analysis. Thank you, Dr. Filipatos. I think this is a very interesting pre-specified combined meta-analysis of both the Figaro DKD and the Fidelio DKD. And it's very interesting that the aim is actually to look at the relationship between the use of phenanol in relation to the composite cardiovascular and kidney endpoints in a range of patients with different EGFR for those subjects with having diabetic kidney disease. And they define the stages of kidney disease using the estimated EGFR categories and also using the urine albumin to creatinine ratio. And in fact, urine albumin creatinine ratio is a very important measure because it is able to identify subjects who have high cardiovascular risk despite having a relatively high EGFR. There are two key composite endpoints. One is the cardiovascular composite endpoint of this trial, which is the time to cardiovascular death, non-fatal myocardial infarction, non-fatal stroke or hospitalization for heart failure. Also, this combined analysis would look at the kidney composite endpoint, which is the time to kidney failure sustained more than 3-7% decrease in EGFR or renal death. And what they've shown is in the phenanoon treatment compared to the placebo treatment reduced the risk of composite cardiovascular endpoints by 14% and the kidney composite by 23%. So the data show that the phenanolone on top of these standard of care actually reduces the risk of clinically meaningful cardiovascular and kidney outcomes in patients with type 2 diabetes over a broad spectrum of chronic kidney disease. It is also important to actually look at the different outcomes that constitute the composite cardiovascular outcomes. In fact, it was essentially the reduction of hospitalization of heart failure, which is about 22%, and that was uh, highly significant with a P of 
0.003. So clearly, reduction in the hospitalization for heart failure is one of the key aspects or key benefits with the Phenanerol. So thank you, Angela. I think that, Javier, what is very important, what was very important for me when I saw the results is, first of all, that 45% of these 30,000, more than 30,000 patients, they had the history of cardiovascular disease, and 45% of them have preserved DGFR. And the only indication of chronic kidney disease was albuminuria. We don't measure very often, when we see a patient with a GFR of 70 and a history of a stroke or a PCI, we didn't measure UACR. I think now, with the results that Angela presented, probably we should slightly change our practice. What do you think? Well, first of all, when we're looking at kidney function, we have glomerular filtration rate. That really defines kidney function. However, the presence of albuminuria really correlates most with kidney damage. And oftentimes that kidney damage will occur before a decline in the GFR. So it's really important to make that distinction. And for years as primary care providers, we always looked at GFR and we always thought about using things like ACE inhibitors and angiotensin receptor blockers as agents in patients with diabetes to protect their renal function. And short of keeping them on these agents, there really wasn't much more to add on to that other than the SGLT2 class, which really has made its mark globally. And now, of course, looking at mineralocorticoid receptor antagonists. So I think that now because of these study designs, I think urine albumin creatinine measurement is now an emerging strategy that's always been really under the radar. Yes, you are absolutely right. And I think that the best way to see what we do in everyday clinical practice is to discuss some patients, to discuss some cases. And for the first case, we have a 59-year-old female who was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes four years ago. She has a BMI of 32, hypertension and dyslipidemia, controlled by medication. And her current HbA1c is 6.9%. And she's being treated with dapagliflozin, an SGL2 inhibitor, and a GLP-1 inhibitor, zemaglutide, as well as ibezartan and angiotensin receptor blocker. Her EGFR is 50 with a UACR of 400 milligrams per gram. So let me start with you, Javier, Dr. Morales. What do you think? Should we be adding a steroidal or non-steroidal MRA to this patient currently? All of these therapies that have demonstrated reduction in proteinuria, and all of a sudden, now we have a urine albumin creatinine ratio of 400, even with the GFR 50. Obviously, there's a fair amount of inflammation that may be going on that could be driving and potentially worsening this patient's renal function as time goes on. So for years, we've always looked at progressive kidney failures really related to three different things. And that is hemodynamics and blood pressure fluctuation with glomerular filtration pressure being affected. There's the metabolic factor with glycemic variability. Sometimes that can actually produce a little bit of inflammatory changes. And then of course, inflammation itself. So taking these into consideration with the urine albumin creatinine ratio of 400 milligrams per gram, the cat's out of the bag and it's running down the street. So it's just about curtailing this and preventing it from getting worse. So obviously this would be a person that would benefit 
from going on some sort of mineralocorticoid receptor antagonism. So for the most part, we have non-steroidal therapies and we have steroidal-based therapies. So why would I want to use a non-steroidal instead of a steroidal-based? Well, it's quite simple, and it's all based on half-life. So if we're dealing with a steroidal-based agent, they have a much, much longer half-life. They have less specificity for the mineralocorticoid receptor. They have greater anti-androgenic effects. And in addition, have a greater risk of hyperkalemia. And when we look at that pivotal trial, the Fidelio study, and we looked at potassium in particular, I mean, potassium went up maybe by about 0.2 millimoles or so. So there was really a negligible effect on potassium. So for me, it winds up being a safer agent with a lower half-life, with demonstrable renal benefit, and to boot the secondary endpoint. And I know, Dr. Filipados, you being a cardiologist can certainly appreciate the reduction in major adverse cardiovascular events that was noted in this population of patients. Yes, thank you. Angela, any comments on this case? I think this is actually the typical patient population that were being recruited in the Fidelio DKD trials. So therefore, the patient actually need additional treatment with the non-steroidal MRAs, which is actually very well evidenced in the Fidelio DKD and also in the Fidelity meta-analysis. You are absolutely right. For those just tuning in, you are listening to CME on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Gerasimus Filipatos, and here with me today are Dr. Angela Wang and Dr. Javier Morales. And we're reviewing case studies to help put into practice the results of the fidelity analysis on the use of non-steroidal MRAs in patients with CKD and with type 2 diabetes. Let's turn our attention to our second patient, a patient with heart failure. We have a 60-year-old male with diabetes for eight years who presents with an ejection fraction that is approximately 45, so she's in heart failure with a mildly reduced ejection fraction, UACR of 150 milligrams per gram, GFR of 30, potassium of 4.8, sodium of 138, and he's on vazartan, ebagliflozin, carvedilor, and furosemide. So we are at a decision point here. Do we start an MRA? And if so, do we start a steroid-based MRA or a non-steroidal MRA? Dr. Wang, what do you think? One thing it reflects, perhaps from the nephrologist's point, is that the patient has an EGFR of 30 which means that the patient already have advanced CKD, and then the patient still have some degree of albuminuria, although not as high as the previous case. And he also has active cardiovascular disease with a mid-range ejection fraction. So I'm aware that according to the European Society of Cardiology Heart Failure Guideline, an MRA is given a 2B grading for use for the heart failure mid-range ejection fraction. And for this particular case, I would actually use a non-steroidal MRA rather than a steroid-based MRA. The non-steroidal MRA is much better evidenced, both in the Fidelio, Figaro, and also the combined analysis, Fidelity trial meta-analysis. So, Dr. Morales, Javier? What I like about this particular case is the question of SGLT2 
versus non-steroidal mineralocorticoid receptor antagonist, and which one should you use first and why? And, you know, looking at the data, if you're looking at the Fidelity trial, it, it winds up that about 7% of patients that were in this combined data were on SGLT2s or GLP-1 receptor agonists. And it basically showed benefit. And in terms of the SGLT2s, there was a subset analysis that was actually done using a model with the Credence study. And what they did was they took these patients that were on the Credence trial and they selected out their cardiovascular risk factors and they plotted them head to head against finerenone. The SGLT2 had a 30% reduction. It was 28% for the finerenone group. So it's kind of interesting because, I mean, I don't think anybody's really going to argue about 2%, but the take-home point is that these agents are really beneficial in terms of the potentials of reduction in major adverse cardiovascular event, and even more importantly, heart failure hospitalizations, because we do know that patients with decreased GFR tend to have a 5.6 times increase in heart failure hospitalizations. So I think that was a fascinating conversation, but before we wrap up, Angela Javier, do you have any take-home message that you would like to share with our audience? I think one of the really key messages is that we really should perform urine albumin screening among the patients with type 2 diabetes in order to identify patients that are at risk of adverse cardiovascular and kidney outcomes earlier for earlier intervention. I think the non-steroidal MRA should be initiated in early stages of kidney disease, as shown by this entire spectrum of CKD with the type 2 diabetes in the trial. For the most part, we're underutilizing the urine-albumin-creatinine ratio, so we should be checking it a little bit more. Now we have agents that work between the non-steroidal and the steroidal-based mineralocorticoid receptor antagonist. The non-steroidal mineralocorticoid receptor antagonist, finerenone, has demonstrated significant benefit in terms of curtailing the natural progression of chronic kidney disease. I think it is clear that we have a new therapy in this area. We have an answer to why we should measure UACR. We have an answer to a so what for those with preserved EGFR. I want to thank you, to thank Dr. Wang and Dr. Morales. I want to thank you all for being here and looking forward to our next discussion. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Medtelligence. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash medtelligence. Thank you for listening.